Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Yo. Yo. Aubrey Edwards, Tony Schiavone, we bout to party. We bout to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down. Got that big space pump and make them bounce now. Flossing like they bossing and the freaks are coming out now. This is AEW Unrestricted, the official podcast of All Elite Wrestling. I'm Aubrey Edwards, referee and co-host, along with my wonderful co-host who makes me look good, Tony Schiavone. How you doing, Tony? Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing great. Better now that you're here. Thanks. You know who who's also here with us today? Yeah, I do. One of my close personal friends, Mr. Jake Hager. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, I get to be a buddy as well. I'm doing great. Buddy! <laughs> <laughs> when uh, Tony said, how you doing, buddy? I like wanted to chime in like, oh, I'm doing great. But I'm talking to you. Listen, you're our buddy too. Yeah, see, I was fishing for that. Yeah, uh, Aubrey, I want you to ask the first question, but I got a Jake Hager story. Oh, yeah. We were in Chicago, I believe, before the pandemic. Yeah, I think it was like our uh, revolution. And I'm, I'm backstage, of course, with JR. And JR and Jake are talking about the the arm triangle, whatever it is, whatever that, that submission yeah. move is, Jake. Yeah. Yeah, arm triangle. And JR just calmly says, that really hurts. He said, "Go, Jake, go ahead and put it on Shivani. And I went, no, you don't really have it. It really hurts. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> it reminded me of my days working for Bill Watts when he used to say, you announcers need to find out how these moves really hurt so you can accurately call them. And I went, no, no thanks. <laughs> it, it happened that day. So there's my Jake story. Go ahead, Aubrey. He hurt me, but I got over it. Okay. So one of the things I love about Jake is his affiliation with the inner circle, which means selfishly, I get to work with him a lot. And one of the matches I was very much looking forward to was full gear with our Minneapolis street fight versus the American top team and men of the year inner circle, which was one of Dave Meltzer's best AEW matches of 2021. So congratulations. How did this whole match come together? Because I think you're actually the first one we've talked to about this. Oh, man, it was really cool to be a part of that angle, kind of pulling a a rabbit out of our hat each week on testing the limits and seeing what we can do. The Minneapolis street fight came together because it's known in all of the streets as the deadliest street fights. This was the only place this angle could culminate at. No, it was um, it was really cool to be a part of. Like Dan Lambert on the mic is absolutely pure magic. So fun to work with. Junior Dos Santos, oh man, that guy's going to be a pro wrestling champion one day. He like really wants it and really loves the sport, you can tell. And those guys are so eager to learn and uh, like do the stuff. And it was cool how that match just came together. And we kind of always 
with the inner circle, we kind of just go off in our little world and tell our stories that way. It seems to work well for us. For uh, those of us who are old school people, not just old, but old school people, seeing Baron Von Raschke at ringside as part of that, defending the honor of your wife, was a hell of a moment, man. Yeah, that was very cool. Very cool. It was cool uh, backstage when we were setting it up. Yeah. And we first got to meet Baron, and he was there with his daughter. Chris was kind of cordially like, hey, do uh, you think if it's okay, if the situation provides itself, you can do the claw? And he kind of looked back at his daughter, and then he like whispered into Ethan's ear how to do the claw. And I just thought that was so awesome that he was still keeping it a secret from his daughter after all these years. You know, pro wrestling is that magic. Right. Old school, buddy. Yeah. And then here I am blabbing my big mouth. <laughs> just killing the business here on AEW Unrestricted. That's why we're unrestricted. Okay. You know, just so we're, so we're clear, too, I am full enough of a man to defend my wife's honor. I can do that. But thank you, Baron. Well, you were, you were busy. <laughs> I mean, you were involved in a match and he was just there. So I get it. Yeah. Sorry, my ego. Hey, you never have to convince us that you're a hell of a man. We know that. <laughs> It's common knowledge. <laughs> Sometimes my head just doesn't fit in the screen. <laughs> that's that's all of us. We all have those days. So no big deal. Jake is one of those people that is an absolute sweetheart outside of the ring. And then in the ring, I'm very terrified because he's strong and scary and moves very quickly. I don't think I've ever been more scared to be in the ring with you than I was for the MMA rules cage fight with you and Wardlow. As a referee, just to provide context for the people listening, my positioning is based on where the hard cam is. So if the hard cam's one way, I'm basically moving the other way behind the wrestlers so that they're always in front of me because it's their story that we're trying to tell. But then as soon as you introduce the MMA cage, everything goes out the window because there's, there's no real backside or front side to the ring. It's all just there and there's cameras at all corners and whatnot. And for me, I was terrified because these guys are legit beating the shit out of each other. I'm worried that I'm going to get trampled. <laughs> I'm trying to like keep a straight face of like, no, I'm a tough broad. I'm a badass. You know, I could do this. And I'm just like, oh God, please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. I'm curious. How did that match come together with Wardlow? What was the idea behind, like who came up with the idea to do it? And what were some of the things you guys discussed prior to actually having the match? Yeah, it was Mike's idea. He had that match pitched um, shortly after our first match, and we uh, were meaning to do it, meaning to do it. It's one of those things that was on the docket, but just kept on getting moved back. I think he was sick one time. I think I had uh, a surgery the other time. So it actually came together, and it felt like at a, at a very nice moment, like it was meant to be. And I thought it was so cool that you were in it as a referee, because in a cage fight, the referee has to have the ability to pull the man off the other man and get it to stop. You know, so it's a big credit to your referee ability and what you can do. Thanks, brother. She's an athlete. There's no question about that. I trusted my life with her hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You and Wardlow have had an, an, an issue on TV, but you guys really, really, it, it's a good fit, isn't it? You and Wardlow. I mean, I, I just like what you guys have been doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think it's one of those things why everyone loves pro wrestling, why pro wrestling is magic. is uh, You don't know why, but like two people just come across on screen and they have this chemistry together yeah. and it really ignites the fans. And it has from day one with us just staring at each other 
like, well, the rest of the inner circle is bigger and we don't say where we just stare at each other. The fans are loving it. One of the other memorable matches that you had at Daly's Place was you, you and John Moxley in the empty arena match. I believe both of you were undefeated going into that. I know one of the issues I had during the pandemic era was making sure that I stayed quiet so that the mics wouldn't pick up things that you don't want to say. I'm I'm curious how you put together a match knowing that there's you're kind of doing this empty arena, no holds barred style thing. It's a title match, but there's not a single fan around. What's the process and how is that different than putting together something like a normal match? Yeah, that match is definitely different in the way we put it together and then what we tried to accomplish. You can tell from the, the beginning of the match, we tried to make it very realistic, try to highlight John's martial arts background as well as highlight mine. And I thought it was cool. Uh, definitely something in the future I would like to continue with pro wrestling. It's very tough to incorporate that in there. One, just the conditioning alone is very hard. But with that match, with no fans in the building, you know, and it was like right at the beginning of the pandemic. So not a whole lot of visual research to like, you know, rely on. It was cool that I got to go in there with him. I have such a history with John, years and years of riding on the road together. And now we have this unique opportunity to punch each other in the face in front of TV cameras. The best part about that to me was it was March 24th, which was my 38th birthday. Wow. So I got to wrestle for the World Heavyweight Championship, the AEW World Championship, on my birthday. And make, I just got goosebumps saying it. So it was extra special. But with no fans in the building, we kind of just did it segment, in segments. We knew we were going to have the beginning like MMA style. And then we knew we were going to spill out. And we knew we were going to have like this like path around which we were going to travel and then go back into the ring. And, uh, then we had the third part with the ending sequence. And with that, John didn't want traditional bump and feed on, on his comeback. So we tried to uh, make it a little bit more hectic. I'm sure I was tired after the match. I, I rolled over outside the ring and almost threw up. Mm. That's how long it was. I think it was like 38 minutes we went. Yeah. It was long. A memorable night. Uh, and you've been involved. We're talking to Jake Hager, by the way, here on Unrestricted, who's been involved in Many memorable matches. We talked about the Minneapolis street fight and the MMA rules match and the match with John Moxley where no fans were in, were there. But you have also been involved in both stadium stampedes, which has now become like a, I don't know, a fixture or a trademark of AEW. When you first heard about the cinematic match that we're going to do, stadium stampede, what were you thinking? I was like, what is this? <laughs> and literally it was like the the day before where we all come together and like seven of us were like what is this right and we kind of just put it together that day we um you know it's one of those great things about aew instead of like fighting you on ideas they give you resources to make your ideas happen and, and to do them the right way so they come across and they're and they're great and those we had lots of resources to play with, and, and we uh, just came there, and we're like, oh, we can kind of do anything we want. Let's see what we can do. And it was a lot of fun to put together. One of my proudest moments is Stadium Stampede, and always will be. 
I feel like, you know, as we're standing around, it was day before Double or Nothing, we're taping this. We're, we're trying to figure out like, okay, we'll tell this story over here. We'll tell this story over here. I didn't see it in the moment because I was down on the field doing the part with the Young Bucks and Jericho. But you and Hangman were upstairs in the bar. And there's this great moment where you share a drink before beating the shit out of each other. Classic. <laughs> Who had that idea? <laughs> Who proposed that? Oh, man. I think it was Hangman's idea, you know, to go along with uh, his gimmick. And then I kind of got pegged in there. I guess I'm known as a little bit as a, you know, I'm Samantha from Sex in the City, I guess. <laughs> I kind of got coined into that angle. And because we we're all kind of just branching off into our own worlds. And Stadium Stampede 1 was the first time that Inner Circle has done that, where Jericho had his. And uh, we did that again with Stampede 2. But it was Heyman's idea. To, and we knew we had a bar up there. And it was so cool. I was so excited about it. I know Jericho said after he saw us film that, like he knew we had something. The physicality was very real. But then you got the drink and you got the classic bar slide down the bar, which was so hard to do, by the way. I was blown <laughs> up after dragging them. Not calling them fat, but that was hard. It was uh, such a fun scene to be in. And then you got broken bottles and broken pool sticks. and. That slam that I gave him on the pool table had to hurt, and he didn't sell it at all. He was a champ. He was like, all right, I'm ready to backflip off the bar now. I'm like, you don't want a breather or anything? You know, and that's why he's world champ. <laughs> that's it. And uh, the second stadium stampede, you repel from the top of the stadium. Jeez Louise. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Don't, don't tell me you're afraid of heights. I am afraid of heights. Oh, my God. Okay. Wasn't wasn't Haku afraid of heights as well though? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> we like to give Chris the heat for for the repelling. Uh, we all say it was his idea. Oh, okay. He's like, no, this was just something that was happening. <laughs> Going up there, like the climb up there, was one of the scariest moments of my life. One of the like toughest moments of my life because you have three flights of stairs where you're pretty much climbing straight up. And then you have this little turnaround and then you got another flight where you go straight up and you got a little turnaround and you're going straight up and you're looking out at, at Daly's place. You see the whole parking lot, you see the river, like the wind is blowing and it's just like one little slip. There was one moment where I was climbing up there and I just froze and I was like, all right, okay, you're an MMA fighter, you're a pro wrestler on live TV all the time. <laughs> Take the next step. Okay, you made that step. Good job. You didn't fall. It was like the last three steps were pretty fucking tough. And as soon as we got in there, it was like, yeah. And then the best part is we go to the top part. We're inside the scoreboard now, so it's like the pressure's off. And then you climb a flight of stairs and you're at the top. And that you're at the top, you're at the very top, you know, very high up. You have to hook a little belt to walk. And it was either me or Santana had to go first because we wanted the other three in the middle. And they were like, all right, who's going to go first? And my big six foot five, 260 foot five, I shrunk down. I was like 130 pounds. Santana just looked at me. He's like, all right, I'll go first. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all to hear that. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty terrifying. And then we had to click a belt and we had to sit with our legs over the edge and we had to wait for the shot to be right. And the whole time the belt is pulled tight so there's no slack in it so it catches us. You know, it's definitely something that you cannot forget. But as soon as you get pulled off the edge, it's like a roller coaster ride. It was so much fun. 
we all wet our pants and acted like big boys. Memorable moment uh, as part of our, our second stadium stampede. All right, talking with Jay Kager, we'll talk about uh, MMA and uh, his background in that as well as we continue on Unrestricted. This is AEW Unrestricted. Tony and Aubrey here with the wonderful and amazing Jake Hager. We talked about super memorable matches because he's been involved in so many of them uh, in his time at AEW. Actually, before we get into the MMA stuff, we haven't actually talked about how you came into AEW. Uh, debut at the first episode of Dynamite in Washington, D.C. Immediately joined the Inner Circle. Who talked to you about joining AEW and... When did you know you were going to be a part of Chris's faction? It was um, August of 2019 when uh, the ink was dry on the contract. So it was during that summer. And what happened was Chris was training with my head coach, Josh Rafferty, the man, Josh Rafferty. One good training, Josh Rafferty, the head coach of my camp, all my camps. Chris was getting great training from him. Uh, I think they did like a video package on Chris getting ready for his match at the Double or Nothing, which the Judas Effect debut. My training for MMA match, I had one in May. We were like running into each other all the time. And even though we lived 10 minutes apart, we were like, hey, there you are, three years later type deal. We started talking. You know, we told him that we were, you know, what we were doing. We got into MMA and be a bigger star in pro wrestling, amongst other things. And uh, he really, you know, liked that and dug what we were doing. Chris and I go way back. I told him I had, like, reached out. I don't remember who, but I'd reached out, you know, saying, hey, are you guys interested? And I, I hadn't heard anything. Everybody wants to work for AEW. Oh. And then Chris kind of realized that I think what happened was is Gallows and Anderson possibly were going to be in an inner circle, but they resigned. And so then I got bumped up or I came into the picture. However you want to phrase it, Chris told Tony he wanted me for the job. And uh, the rest was history. Tony made sure I wasn't a scumbag. He had a couple phone calls with me. <laughs> and then I got to be elite. So it was very great. I'm so glad that I got to be a part of the, the groundwork, the beginning team at AEW. Very proud of that. We're talking with Jake Hager. Let's talk just a little bit about, you said you hope to have two fights uh, for Bellator in 2022. And recently, uh, John Jones tweeted a potential MMA fight with you. What can you say about that? Anything? Yeah, absolutely. So he reached out to uh, Josh Rafferty again and wanted to do a wrestling and submission match in New Jersey on December 9th. As an Oklahoma country boy who's wrestling since he was four years old, it hits me right in my wheelhouse. I'm like, yeah, you're the greatest of all time, but you're not going to take me down. Huh? I was very excited about it. It seemed like it was going to go down. He jumped the gun early on tweeting it out before we had any details. As far as I know, it's still in the works. Maybe, maybe January 9th now. We'll see. But I think it's very cool that uh, he wanted to uh, just do that with me. I think it's a testament to AEW and what AEW is doing and how current and how popular we are right now and how on the rise we are. And it's a testament to myself, you know, too, too. It's, uh, it was really great. Like we had mentioned this a little bit earlier in the first segment, but like working with Junior DeSantos in the first match you guys had with the American top team in Miami and just seeing like his appreciation for wrestling 
the dude looked like a kid in a candy store every time he got up from a bump. He's like, this is the greatest thing in the world. I love that there's that crossover with wrestling and whatnot. I want to know how your MMA training impacts your wrestling in any way. Yeah, absolutely. So I had like zero MMA training while I was at WWE. And that was my pro wrestling just based on my college wrestling, which I based most of my stuff on how I do amateur wrestling. And since I had the three years of MMA training, the four fights, it definitely affects my pro wrestling now. I just see more things that to make it more realistic. I really like to do like a knee on belly. Like if you get on top of somebody, what would you really do? You're going to pick them up? No, I'll put your knee on them and hit them right in the face. And so there's just like little aspects that I've found through the confidence of getting to a certain level with MMA training that I can incorporate because it has taken a while to incorporate the realistic wrestling that I do since I was a little kid and the MMA fighting into it because there's a difference. You want it to look good. You want it to feel good at the same time. And you want it to make sense with the match. To incorporate it is more difficult. So it translates to the people and what you're doing. But I feel like jujitsu is a very good thing to train if you want to be a pro wrestler. It can make everything just feel more natural in there. And then, of course, kickboxing, boxing, anything you can do with your hands to make it look like weapons or legs. That last interview I did, I was saying anything you could do, any type of MMA training makes you a better pro wrestler. Now, you need pro wrestling training specifically as well. But once you have that, you can use the MMA training to build up your pro wrestling. But there's a healing process after an MMA fight, right? I mean, you get your ass beat. Right. <laughs> yeah, there really is. And it's like some of the stuff is the unseen healing that you're doing for your head and your concussion that really needs more time and you think it doesn't because you can't see the bruise type deal right i had to heal a bunch after the last fight that was a war that i was in it was three five minute rounds of no head movement and just face to face right hand which is great if you're into that i'm gonna work on moving my head next time <laughs> but it really does you have to like heal afterwards like i didn't do anything for like almost three months training wise not even like a little public jujitsu class or anything like that. Just let it heal. Just got to be proactive on it because you're going to get sore in the training. You got to do the ice. You got to do the cryotherapy. You got to do like the massage therapy. But I think now more than ever, medical science, uh, sports medicine is at a peak. It's at an age where you don't have to cheat and you can just do it the right way and you can take care of your body. In our later segment, we'll talk about some fan questions that came in for you, but this is kind of a really good one that touches on what we're talking about right now from uh, Chris Jenkins on Twitter asks, would you ever consider leaving pro wrestling to do MMA full time? I don't, I don't see a reason why I would. One hand makes the other hand bigger. They both complement each other. So it's one of those things where being on television as a pro wrestler makes me a bigger draw a bigger opponent, which makes me more money. Uh, so they go hand in hand. It's a perfect storm. So I don't think so. When, when, when Jake Hager uh, is announced, he is announced from the wrestling capital of the world, Perry, Oklahoma, and you said you're just a country boy from Oklahoma. We think of Perry, Oklahoma, obviously, if you know anything about the history of pro wrestling, you think about Danny Hodge. He grew up in the same neighborhood with, he wrestled with his grandson in high school. 
talk about Danny Hodge and the impact he had on your career. Oh man, the living legend. What uh, what a man. I first met Danny when I was like a, a little kid. He was one of those people that they would have come to the school and uh, like speak to all the kids in the gymnasium, crush an apple. I think I was in kindergarten. He broke a pair of pliers right there. There was just like a hush went over all the kids' face. Right. And then as I got older, I got to uh, I got to wrestle with his grandson, which he would come in and help us with practice and you know, just do certain things that were like very special. And it wasn't just in like what he was doing. It was everything that is classic. It's how you do it. And he had his twist on everything. He had this perspective on life. He was the, he was the nicest guy you would ever meet, but he's the toughest guy that you don't want to meet. He's just the baddest man. I can't explain it. I did a paper on Danny when I was in college about his life. It was for some freshman class. And he told me a story about how he would let the whole wrestling team uh, start the run uh, about a minute in front of him. And then he would still beat them back uh, by a good amount of time. And it was just like that type of work ethic led to who he was. And it was very cool as I got to graduate from college and I got to wrestle with WWE. Um, I got to go back to my hometown and I got to do a couple seminars for like the youth programs with with Danny and here I am still fan of Danny's and I'm now I'm standing side by side doing a, a you know a coaching seminar with him uh it was a very proud moment of mine and just getting to know him it was, it was very special always look for him when we were in Oklahoma City he'd be backstage he would come up to you and he would still like even though you know that he's strong he, he wants you to tell him that so he's going to grab your hand and he's going to give it to you and it would almost put you on your knees. And you're like, Danny, can I shake your hand? Can we do a hug? He's like, no, shake it. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very blessed. I know when I think about Oklahoma boys in wrestling, obviously Jake Hager is one, but Jim Ross is another. I want you to kind of talk about the role that Jim Ross has had in your wrestling career. Yeah. Jim, uh, you know, back to an early story about putting Shivani in that hold. It's in my contract that I have to do whatever Jim Ross tells me to do. So <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. It's uh, It's been such a special relationship I've had with Jim. I met him my sophomore year in college. I think it was like 2003. And he was with uh, another Oklahoman, Jerry Briscoe, who's another good friend of mine who lives very close to me. And they always said, hey, you're a tall wrestler. Why don't you try uh, pro wrestling? You get done with this. And I was a big fan, uh, like throughout junior high during the Monday Night Wars, of course, Team WCW, right, Tony? Yeah. And, uh, you know, gotten away from it because I was more competitive in high school with wrestling and football, but I thought I was very excited about it. Senior year, I'm, I'm doing six months of interviewing, no job. I called Jim up. I'm like, hey, give me a tryout. He calls Jerry up. Jerry sets the tryout. I graduated in May of, of excuse me, of 06. I went out to a tryout that month. It was like a week-long tryout in Deep South. I got the job. By July, I had moved out of Oklahoma, and I was uh, starting my pro wrestling journey. But like throughout there, I was blessed to have uh, Jim Ross there kind of giving me guidance, Jerry Briscoe giving me guidance on what to do, what to stay away from. There, it's a lot different than AEW. There's a lot of landmines you have to avoid. 
Yeah. But very lucky to have those guys in my hand. And then, of course, what do I have to do? I have to spray barbecue sauce in my friend's face. I got to. Well, I did let Jim put me in an ankle lock live in the middle of a ring on on the pay per view. So I think we're even. But uh, <laughs> very lucky and very glad to be his friend. Uh, we're talking with Jake Hager. Jake, before we uh, go to fan questions, I want to hit you with this. You are technically still the Lucha Underground champion, right? Technically. <laughs> Longest ever by now, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. Longer than Penta, longer than Mysterio, you know. That had to be quite an experience, wrestling there. You know, it was an experience for me who had only experienced WWE leaving there and going into the independent and going into the other promotions that were available. That was the only way I was making my income. Uh, it was very much of a learning curve for me. I had to re-dive into pro wrestling. It allowed me to like fall in love with pro wrestling again and uh, just see a different side of it. And I always loved Lucha Underground. I thought what they were doing was uh, a very cool thing. I thought it was different. It just seemed like the networks were dropping the ball on the situation, but the people behind it, it was very cool. I wrestled Sammy Guevara on Lucha Underground, and he did a backflip onto me from like the second story of an escape ladder. Of course, I caught him because I'm the best in the biz, but at catching, at catching, don't get carried away. <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool. It was cool. I, I enjoyed it. All right. Jake Hager on Unrestricted will field fan questions coming up. AEW Unrestricted continues with Jake Hager from the wrestling capital of the world, Perry, Oklahoma. We found out you can catch people better than anyone in pro wrestling. <laughs> I believe it. And also can put on that arm triangle. And I know that for a fact, among other things. Sid at Sid Fishy wants to know, this is at Sid Fishy. What was your favorite pro wrestling moment of this past year that you were involved in? And what is your favorite moment that you were not involved in just watching being a part of okay i really enjoyed of course stadium stand p2 that was just a magical match very proud to be in that right but more important than that i think blood and guts on may 5th i think it was one of our first matches back in front of an audience so we hadn't felt that normalcy of a pro wrestling show we haven't felt that impact of our other character in our show the the fans, you know, they're definitely a part of the show. And so I remember coming out, you know, we had the jumpsuits on and we're coming out with the big cage down and they're singing Fozzie. And it was just, I mean, they just erupted. Like they wanted it so bad. And like, I think you see a picture of me, like I'm trying to do my normal, like scream entrance, but you look at my face, like I'm crying in my eyes because it was just so cool to feel that again, like be back and be like, yes, we need this normalcy. And it was, uh, it was very powerful for me. I'm getting goosebumps now. There's a lot of onions in here too. <laughs> and it just goes to show you like how much the fans are a part of pro wrestling shows. And it's very lucky to have our AEW fans who really are the best. What about a match that you weren't involved with? Uh, a match that I wasn't involved with. I tell you what, even it was uh, the Fuego story. Oh, yes. Fuego was having a feud with Miro. Miro was just destroying him. You know, like it's just a great, you know, story to anyone who's struggling. Like keep going, keep trying, keep working hard, keep your head up, keep being a good person. 
and you're going to be rewarded for it. And, you know, how he got a job, best friend gave it to him. That was so cool. It was just like one of those moments where you're like, this is a great company that we, that we work for. Like that made a moment like this that didn't have to, didn't have to happen at all because of the great people that, that lead it. It did. It was very cool. I love that moment. I don't think many of us knew what was going to happen. And I figured out right before Fuego went out because Sammy's standing there with like a clipboard. I'm like, oh God, oh God, I need to walk away so I don't cry so Fuego doesn't figure out what's happening. <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, this is insane. I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up because that was extremely memorable for, for many of us there. Yeah. We had a question from Carissa Lopez. When you were told that the people from American Top Team were coming to AEW, what was your reaction knowing that there was going to be such a long and deep feud with you guys and Dan Lambert and his team? Yeah, it can definitely be very intimidating. You know, you don't know what's coming in. You don't know who's coming in. You don't know how much they know of our industry. And you don't know how excited they are to be there. Uh, these are people that go in a cage and fight for a living and have for a very long time. So they're good at it. They're like one of the best. I remember that first meeting, I was trying to make a joke and uh, I was kind of nervous. I was trying to think of something. And then I was walking up to the meeting and uh, Andre Arblowski and I had the, the same shirt on. And I was like, perfect. I was like, we just became best friends. And he goes, oh, brothers. <laughs> and so it just like set it off from there that we were on a good page. and Everything was cool. But I was very excited to work with him, teaching JDS some pro wrestling stuff. I was definitely marking out for that because we're doing some jujitsu. I was like, I'm rolling with JDS right now. No big deal. Cool. Yeah, let me show you my counter. <laughs> so I thought it was great. And, and Dan, every time he touched the mic, it was awesome. He did a take where he did three different promos backstage and he shortened them up each time and changed up the promo each time. And then it was one take fire, one hit wonder. It was just great. Each one was different and beautiful. And I remember sitting back there and being like, holy cow, okay, this guy. Of course, you could tell that he loves pro wrestling, but he's also a great speaker. Anamesh Das, that's Anamesh Dash, wants to know, did you ever have to justify or defend pro wrestling to your MMA peers? Do they care or is it just a clash that's been built up by the fans? I never had to justify pro wrestling. I think this day and age, Pro wrestling speaks for itself. It is bigger than I think it was in the 1980s. Um, the internet has exploded it. It's a household name. It's no longer something that you had to hide in the closet and like say, I don't watch pro wrestling. Everybody watches pro wrestling. And more importantly than that, right. everybody wants to be a pro wrestler. Uh, you look at how they sell MMA angles. You think that how they sell NFL or NBA angles. It's all pro wrestling tactics. They all use the same heel and baby face tactics. It just makes me laugh because everybody wants to be a pro wrestler. Yeah, very well said. Whether or not they admit it, it's yeah. absolutely true. Right. The question from Keith Lawrence Murphy, what was the hardest thing you had to give up or sacrifice to become a professional wrestler? The, the biggest thing you sacrifice is your, your time at home. I always say that you don't have to pay me for the wrestling. The wrestling I'll, I'll do for free. You got to pay me for the travel. It is a lot, a large part of the job. As a kid from a small town in Oklahoma, I was very excited about the travel, getting to see the world, uh, getting to wrestle in front of the big crowds and famous arenas. It, it, it's awesome. Very excited about it. Now I 
travel less with AEW, which is great. So I can be home with my kids. That's the biggest sacrifice now is time away from my family. So I want to be there as much as possible. From down the block wants to know, what are some lessons you learned while carrying your first world title? I think um, the biggest thing I learned from uh, carrying the world title is Undertaker pulled me aside. I, I did something which he didn't like. Um, and so he made a point to tell me about it. But it was, it was a good talk. And he pulled me aside and he was like, look, this job is only worth it if you're on top as far as financially. In the middle, down at the bottom, it's a lot of scrapping. You're away on the road too much. You don't make it. You need to be on top, but you'd be worth it. I always took that as, as, a, as a grain of salt and like where I needed to be at and how to really value myself as an individual. Because when you're being a pro wrestler, you really have to know what your value is so you can know what to ask for and know what not to ask for, I feel like. That speech from him kind of put it in perspective a little bit more. I have a question from Mike Pendergrass on Twitter. I love when you guys were, were first introduced as Sammy Hager, you and Sammy Guevara when you're teaming together. And the two of you have great chemistry. So Mike wants to know, besides Sammy Guevara, who's your favorite tag partner? Chris Jericho. Yeah. He's, he's great. I get to come out to the Tyrita singing his song. He's the best at putting matches together, making every little thing have its moment, and uh, just do it the right way. I'm a, I'm a little bird on his shoulder, like writing everything down. Ishmael Carmichael wants to know, what does Jake Hager like to do on your off time? Well, I'm, uh, I live in Florida, so I like to go to the beach a lot with the kids. And when the kids don't want to go to the beach, me and Catalina like to go uh, shoot guns, shoot rifles, shoot handguns, shoot shotguns, targets. Really uh, like to prepare for the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not dark at all. It's just being prepared. I'm with you, man. A lot of people identify with that. They really do. It, it, it's really cool though, because like five months ago, Catalina was scared of uh, of a rifle, and now she's a better shot with a rifle than I am, and she's leaving me in the dust. Mm. I can't I can't catch her now. It's like I taught you too much. They always say that women are better shots than men. Have you heard that before? Mm -hmm. Once I had a daughter, I knew that women were smarter than men. <laughs> I will agree with all of this, by the way. And just a general note, I wanna I wanna say this is to get on her good side, but. Your wife is pretty badass, and I'm not sure which one of you is more badass. And I think Catalina has like a slight edge a little bit. So, sorry, buddy. Yeah, I think that's why I married her because I'm like, I love competition. Besides her being beautiful, I married her for this like competition that she always drives me. She's always better than me at stuff. So, it always pushes me and like never really lets me rest because if I rest, if I don't have something to drive me, if I don't have a goal to work toward, you just get stuck in lulls. It's not good. So I, I like to keep moving. I definitely would like to work with her more on AEW because I think she could definitely help me elevate to another level on there wrestling-wise. She's beautiful. She can talk. I think she could be the next Miss Elizabeth. So we just walk around the house, and I carry her on my shoulder to practice. We're getting ready. Got to always be prepared. I got a question from Cloudy on Twitter. Which athlete outside of wrestling inspires you? 
Uh, let's see here. Right now, I live in Tampa Bay. So everybody's inspired by Tom Brady. It's cool to see the level that he's competing at, at the age he is, and his training regiment, really putting the light on some of like the way you can live properly and extend your career. I also uh, am a big fan of uh, you know our United States military. Uh, Ex Navy SEALs are really cool guys like Cameron Haynes, Mike Glover, David Goggins. He wrote a best-selling book called "Can't Hurt Me." I read it during uh, my first fight camp. It's a really good book. It talks about his life, but then more just goes into the mindset you have and, and how it's all perspective. So it's really cool. Check it out. And Dark Order number 69 wants to know, do you still get nervous before a fight or a match? Uh, you know what's funny is I don't get nervous for fights because it's like so many months of training and I get unleashed. And every time I go in there, I may be a sick individual. I have a smile on my face because I finally get to go 100% and, you know, have the months and months unleashed on this guy. I get nervous for wrestling, of course. Um, everybody at AEW really raises the bar. And so there's certain times you go out there, you have a little anxiety. And the moment that you go through the curtain, it all goes away. But building up to it is always the worst part. And so there are moments where you still get nervous. Last question we got from Earl Lovings. Speaking of which, AEW wrestlers all raising the bar. Who are some of the wrestlers in AEW that you haven't had a match with yet that you really want to? Oh, man. So many guys. It's really cool to see um, Ray Phoenix and Penta. Those guys are just like, <laughs> I love like, what? How can they do that? Every time they do a springboard or they go up in the corner, it kind of looks like they're going to fall and then they land perfectly. So it's really cool to watch those guys. I want to get a tag partner and uh, get in there with those guys. It's really cool to see Sammy do his thing. Even though I don't like the guy, MJF, you can't deny his ability. Darby Allen is just something else. Everything he does is different. So it's always got to like, must-see TV with him. It's really cool. Orange Cassidy. <laughs> One of my favorite promos is Chucky way back when. is He's like, no, he's going to try. Like, he made not trying a gimmick. I don't get it. It's awesome. That blows my mind when you sit down and you think about it. Not trying, making that a gimmick is like, whoa. Well, Jake, we know you always try, buddy. Yeah. Because you always give us great matches, and we appreciate your time today. Hey, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate you having me on here, talking about myself. You guys smell amazing, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, uh, you can follow Jake on Instagram and Twitter at RealJakeHager. Be sure to listen to this podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday, where you can listen to the soothing sounds of Tony Schiavone and myself. Less soothing, but equally great, I guess. But every Thursday, there's new episodes and YouTube versions come out on Mondays. Just search AEW Unrestricted. What else we got going on, Tony? We've got Elevation on Monday nights, Dark on Tuesday nights on our YouTube channel. Wednesday, we have AEW Dynamite live on TNT. Soon to be on TBS after the first of the year, of course. As Aubrey said, Thursdays are covered with AEW Unrestricted. And then Rampage on TNT, Friday nights, 10 o'clock, 9 Eastern. This is Aubrey Edwards and Tony Schiavone with Jake Hager signing off. Thanks for listening, everybody.
Come on, throw your hands up, let me see you. Unrestricted, got the house now. We gon' turn it up, up, bring the house down. Got that big space pumping, make 